Okay, Eli. Yes, Colin. How can a piece of metal mean so much to you? Eagle is not a piece of metal. The eagle is Rome. Oh, yeah. Hello, and welcome to Movies We Dig, the podcast about antiquity and movies and all that other stuff that we're talking about. I'm trying, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to slip into like a more natural intro <laughs> rather than writing it down, but I'm not sure it's really working. Uh, but yes, as, as always, I'm Colin McCormick. And I'm Elijah Fleming. And today we're talking about The Eagle, a 2011 historical epic directed by Kevin McDonald and starring Channing Tatum and Jamie Bell. Eliza, I can see you are already making. <laughs> she's holding back people. She's holding back laughter. She is yep. <laughs> angling away from the microphone. Can't look. Can't even look me in the eye. <laughs> I'm sorry when you say like historical drama starring Channing Tatum. I'm just like this is <laughs> this is a weird entry. It's such a like those are such an odd combination of words to say right it's like oh yeah you know that channing tatum or that that movie where channing tatum plays a roman centurion (laughs) no i would say that this is a just like a criminal misuse of channing tatum who i think is a genuinely funny actor and i think he's a great actor i think he's a great actor in in certain like he he's proven like he is like you said like he's a very very funny actor like he's got a great sense of humor but he's also like shown that he can do sort of serious dramatic roles like Magic Mike, like the first Magic Mike. The first Magic Mike, yes. Yeah. Um, or I would uh, say Foxcatcher. Yes. And um, Logan Lucky, I think, kind of uh, walks that line of like, it's mm-hmm. funny, but he plays a serious character. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he, he's got like a little, I mean, sometimes it plays up like he's a little bit of a, not a goof, he's just kind of like a, like Logan Lucky, he, 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 like he he can really ride that line. Like he yeah. can he can he can bring sort of the serious chops, and he can bring the jokes. He's got a great sort of comedic sensibility, like yep. Twenty One Jump Street or something like that. I love. I mean, yeah. that's like my brand of humor. I enjoy that ridiculousness. He can play the like airhead jock type, mm-hmm. um, but he can, he can play a sort of self serious, but. A historical drama sort of period piece is a very odd. This also, this time, Channing Tatum at this point of time, I was just checking his filmography. He's making a lot of movies around this time. He had he had three movies in 2009. One of one one of them was a G.I. Joe movie. He had four movies come out this same year as The Eagle. Haywire, The Son of No One, and The Dilemma. He had another three movies come out the next year in 2013. He had five movies come out. Holy crap. Yeah, he is he has made a lot of movies. It slows down a little now, but then he's making he's making like two to four movies a year from he from like 2009 to like 2017. With, with the, a couple of odd years. Like 2016 all he is is he's in Hail Caesar, that's it, which also he's great in. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. I I just I don't think this was this was the role for Channing Tatum. Yeah, it was, a, it was a truly odd decision, and I don't know what was going on, like like with him or his agent or whatever. They were just like, you know, it wasn't. It doesn't seem like he was quite at the like 
Nicolas Cage level that will like will take literally any movie that comes across his desk. <laughs> no, I mean I feel like this was probably pitched to him as like this is a cool serious thing to do and uh it it doesn't work for me. It yeah. uh yeah, no. And if we're talking if we're going into the whole do we dig this movie if if now oh, yeah, is which... the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say I actually dig like the first half of this movie. Minus Channing Tatum, maybe, but I like viscerally hate how this movie ends. <laughs> yeah, I, I very much. Yeah, it, it has a very strange. I, I, I pretty much agree with everything you said. I, I found myself like I saw this a while ago. I think I saw this more or less when it came out. I don't Me think too. I saw it in theaters, yeah. but I did see it. And I remember it, it didn't leave much of an impression on me because I couldn't remember like any of the details. <laughs> uh, also partially because it conflated with a couple other movies. Cause right around this time, there was a, there was a lot of movies that were very similar to this. Like this movie is kind mm-hmm. of similar to the King Arthur movie that yeah. came out in like 2004. It was really similar to Centurion with Michael Fassbender that came out, I think just a year earlier. Yeah. Was, is the last Legion, is that the King Arthur one? Yep, yep. Okay, that okay. one's, I think that's like 2007. And they're all set in Britain. They all involve like sort mm-hmm. of Imperial Rome or declining Rome and going north of Hadrian's Wall and dealing with British tribes. Rome and I, we'll talk about that, like the ancient Britain, the obsession <laughs> with ancient Britain. But yeah, it I, it didn't leave much of my impression. But as I was watching it last night on review, I, I was like, actually, I'm, this movie's not bad. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of here. There's some, there's some parts like that I can nitpick or whatever, like, you know, maybe don't quite work, but like in general, like the dramatic action is, is doing it for me up until really the last 15, 20 minutes kind of falls apart. Yep. yep. It, I don't know what's going on. It just sort of takes this weird turn into a completely different movie. I, yeah, I think it has a tone shift. And because mm-hmm. the, the first part, I the parts that I think I really liked is a lot of this kind of um, monotony of daily life. You have a lot of close-ups of like uh, people putting on armor or doing like odd jobs around the fort. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, you know, chasing chickens around and yeah um, it, they, like they're sort of undermanned and understaffed and yeah like they're, in and the, it, they're out in the boonies exactly it gave me kind of like a master and commander vibe in the beginning especially when mm. they're like is there something out there like what do we all you know get ready to fight and then nothing happens and mm-hmm. um and you're kind of like rooting for them in that way just like already you're kind of like on board with the character and I'm like this is working for me and then yeah. it it sort of like goes to the other side of that at the end it's like very uh best case scenario fantasy almost ending mm-hmm. where it's like yep everything worked out exactly right and now we're all friends <laughs> yeah it, it really yeah it's really it's that I, this movie I'm on board with it until the final deus ex machina and particularly the final like minute, which like is just just to me seemed like they're from a completely different, much much schlockier movie. Like it felt like it needed to end with some kind of big action set piece. Yeah, but like all of the action leading up to it, sort of this movie could if had this movie ended in a different way, I think it could have been much better. Because another movie you're saying, Master and Commanders, I do very much get that kind of vibe, particularly in the beginning of mm-hmm. like the sort of the ins and outs of like military life. Um, Master Commander, which is a great movie as yes. I, I recently, because it's, it's 
Tracy's favorite movie or one of her favorite movies. And then when I found out, I'm like, really? And then we rewatched it. I'm like, oh, no, this movie's rocks. Like, this movie's, movie's awesome. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, it sure. kicks ass. Um, so, yeah, this movie could have been like a, a sort of Roman master and commander. I think it also, the movie I was thinking of, particularly in the last act, is it's kind of like Last of the Mohicans, particularly in the like escape chase yeah. scene. yeah. And I think it, it had if it had had an ending sort of more similar to Last of the Mohicans, where it was just the principal characters sort of engage mm-hmm. with one another, yeah. as opposed to this very contrived Deus Ex Machina, where the <laughs> these guys show up, which yeah. we, we'll, we'll get to in, in due time. I think it would have been a much much better movie. Yeah, but yeah, so let's let's sort of set the seed a little bit. Like we were talking before, this is actually based on a 1954 sort of adventure novel for young boys. <laughs> Which, like, yeah, it kind of tracks now that I know that. I knew it was based off a book, but I didn't know it was, like, uh, geared toward younger audiences. Yeah, it was like an adventure novel or something like that. It's by Rosemary Sutcliffe. It's called The Eagle of the Ninth. Uh, this movie departs, I think, wildly in both... It, well, it, not wild. This movie departs in tone wildly. And in plot in a couple of ways. Like, I think he actually, his father, I think, is still alive. And he, like, finds his father. And I think in the book, he actually doesn't come back with the eagle. And apparently, in a version of this movie, there's an alternate ending where he doesn't come back with the eagle. He, like, destroys the eagle. I would have liked that better. (laughs) I think it might have been a better, I don't know. I wonder if, like, there was some sort of pressure to have that sort of final action set piece. And if there was some sort of, like, focus group studio pressure to end it the way it did because it just felt a little disparate with everything that this movie had been setting up prior yeah but the book is in and of itself based sort of on a historical thing there was an actual ninth legion the the ninth ninth spanish legion which was stationed in britain and then drops out of historical and archaeological records around sort of 120 a.d or c.e and this movie set because uh, I did the mental math. This movie is set in like 140 CE, which would also make it sort of period appropriate for Hadrian's Wall too, which we'll get back to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this 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 legion, the Ninth Spanish Legion, is stationed in Britain. It sort of drops out of the records. Theodore Mommsen, a very famous classicist, argued that it was destroyed in military, like it went north of the wall and was destroyed in military activity. I think people have moved away from that theory right now. Like it was destroyed later. We know it's it's definitely gone by a certain point, by by Septimius Severus or something like that. But whether it was, whether it sort of marched north of the wall and was chewed up in the forest. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's more, that's more influenced by the Teutoburg forest uh, story. Yeah. And I see also just sort of the the obsession with the standard, like being lost to the Parthians sort of coming mm-hmm. into this and the sort of the non-Roman foreigners, you know, capturing the standard and how that's mm-hmm. uh, a bad thing. It's so bad. It's terrible. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, so we're, we're, we're referencing sort of two historical events. One was Teutoburg, where three Roman legions march into basically the German forests and are uh, annihilated in the woods and they lose their standards. And then another was, was Crassus, right? Crassus mm-hmm. of um, Laurence Olivier in Spartacus Crassus, who <laughs> similarly in a sort of maybe hubristic and power-seeking move, marches into the desert in Syria, Iraq, that mm-hmm. area. Yep. And the Parthians there uh, chew him up and spit him out and capture the, and capture the eagles, yep. which is a huge slap in the face to Roman sort of 
pride, I guess. Yeah. Well, because yeah, know. then they make like a, or I guess Augustus makes a big damn deal about getting him back, and that's like in on all of his uh, imagery, like the the famous um, statue of Augustus on his armor. It has like the picture of him holding the standards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I got him back. Yeah, so, which like he just like negotiated. It was like they, yeah, they it wasn't a, a battle. He was just like, "Can we have him back, please?" <laughs> yeah. So, so that's informing this that those stories and stories like that are informing this uh, narrative, which is, is by and large, it's it's that's it works that works totally fine. Yeah. And so we start off with Marcus Aquila. Whose name just means eagle. That's what Aquila means. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Again, that tracks with just like, um, like a you know, uh, old school young British boys like adventure novel. His mm-hmm. name just means eagle. <laughs> yep. It's very on the nose. <laughs> yep. Uh, we we start our story with yeah Channing Tatum, Marcus Aquila, this this com- garrison commander. Basically, he's put in charge of this fort in Britain, which is sort of set up to be like the Wild West. It has very much that kind of aesthetic, particularly at, towards the end, as we'll get with just the like costumes and visual aesthetics. And he wins, he is sort of like day two of him being at this garrison. <laughs> There's rumblings going on. He sends out a patrol that disappears. Um, he begins, he suspects an attack. There is an attack. The local Celtic people or the Britons come out and then they have this battle. It's a pretty cool battle. It's a good action yeah. set piece. Yeah. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's it's literally mm. like his second day, though. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, and kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, they had. Yeah, I I liked the whole bit with the where they like formed up. Uh, they did the famous testudo, where they kind yep. of all yep. you know turtle up with their shields, and they go out and they get and they sort of rescued the prisoners. And in this, um, Channing Tatum is 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 run over by a chariot. <laughs> It's, a, it's been a rough 24 hours on the job. Truly, because then he wakes up and he's in Donald Sutherland's house, who in, in a short succession informs him that he's his uncle, um, that I guess he never knew. There's like, there's, yeah, like, there's some like, what? there's just some little things in like the script and the plot that maybe could have been smoothed over. Yeah. But yeah, so he meets Donald Sutherland. He then rescues Jamie Bell, or this is another sort of odd scene. Because he's sort of recovering from his injuries, mm-hmm. he he's given an honorable discharge, and that. But then Channing Tatum's kind of in this like sort of depressive ennui state because his whole he's sort of a career. He has always wanted to be a career soldier, yeah. Particularly because his father sort of ignominiously disappeared with this eagle, and so his whole sort of trajectory is to regain you know his family's honor. We should have counted how many times they said honor in this movie. Or eagle, I know. Or eagle. Well, as we know, the eagle is—it's not just metal; it's it's Rome. It's and totally if, Rome. As, as yeah. one of the character, I think it's a, I think it's in the dinner scene where one of the characters just goes like very—he just lays it out. He's like, "Eagle lost, honor lost." <laughs> I this movie did actually make me think of um, Avatar, and it's just like he has a whole Zuko complex where he's like, "I have to regain my honor." <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> But yeah, that sort of leads to him being in in this like depressive state, and he persuades the crowd at a gladiator match to like not kill this this random slave, Jamie Bell. Yeah, he yeah. likes Jamie Bell's courage, I guess, for not fighting. Yeah, like because Jamie Bell comes out. Eska is his character's name. He's he's an enslaved sort of prisoner of war. I think. Yeah, they don't really like 
Yeah, say why or how he mm-hmm. got there. We find out later that that Esca's people, he's actually like a prince, and his, his father and brothers were killed by the Romans, and then presumably he was a child and was captured, and as they sort of took took all their lands and, and subjugated his the Brigantes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so then, so Channing rescues Esca by persuading the crowd to not kill him, and uh, and then gets it into his head that him and Esca are gonna go north of the wall, and they're gonna li- and they're gonna track down this missing eagle. Which, like on the surface, I think is super fun. Yeah, like I love I love a good expedition, and I love a good heist, and these like have the those elements kind of in that. But I think it kind of falls apart after, like, once they're walking around for a while, and then sort of the third act after that. So they mm-hmm. they make some discoveries. So they find Mark Strong. Mm-hmm. They sort of discover that there are Roman legionaries uh, that have just survived and have been living up there, don't want to come back, and that these mysterious seal people who are not real, <laughs> yeah, um, have the eagle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they track down or they find Marks because Esca's, it sort of seems like Esca's kind of giving, sort of dragging things out. Which they never really say why. Yeah, that's like, there's there's a couple of little like, like tightening of the, tightening of the screws that this movie I yeah. think could have happened. Like, like the stuff with Donald Sutherland being like, oh, by the way, I'm your uncle. Yeah, I don't think he has a name. He's just like Uncle Aquila. He, yeah, he, he's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, or he has the same name. He's just some kind of like, which actually is probably... I mean, pretty to be accurate. fair, yeah. It, um, a lot of people in the same family in ancient Rome did have the same name, That's much right. to our yeah. chagrin, because <laughs> it can get real confusing real quick. But yeah, they they because it, it sort of revealed that Esca kind of knew about the battle all along. Like he knew this was the, there was a site of a famous battle where the legion was destroyed. He's been giving Channing the runaround because there's this tension that the the, the sort of core dramatic tension is. Esca kind of hates Channing Tatum and everything. He, he says it. He's like, I hate you and everything you stand for. <laughs> yep. <laughs> because for very understandable reasons. Yep. Because he is the sort of imperialist oppressor yep. um, and conqueror, but owes Channing a life debt a la Jar Jar Banks. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> Great comparison. Excellent. Yeah. Parallel. Well, that's the, yeah. The jar, life debts are why we, we, why Jar Jar Banks hangs around. <laughs> <laughs> for for the for all that movie but yeah he owes channing a life debt so he's helping him but he's kind of not helping him but there, there's kind of a switch because at some point in this movie eska goes from sort of resenting channing to really putting the team on his back yeah and i feel like they were we were supposed to maybe think they're eventually captured by the seal people mm-hmm. and they have this sort of you know switch in roles where eska pretends that Channing Tatum is his Roman slave mm-hmm. and sort of gets them sort of into the interior of the seal people camps where they can steal mm-hmm. the eagle. But for a while, you're like not 100% sure that he's faking it. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like there was supposed to be this tension of is is he still like on Channing Tatum's side or is he like going to kill him? Um, mm-hmm. But then he's like 100% like, nope, we're going to you know, steal the eagle and get out of here and I'm going to help save you. And mm-hmm. it just seemed like a very big black and white, like switch, like yeah. 100% to the other side. <laughs> yeah. Because they, they, it seems like, so there's a scene right before this that I think is sort of maybe supposed to set up 
this kind of character switch where it's the scene where they're they're camping out and they get attacked by by raiders mm-hmm. or something like that and yeah. they 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 work together and they defeat the raiders and it seems like there probably should have been some scene where in that Eska comes to sort of appreciate or like sort of comes to begrudgingly respect or or, or like Channing or vice versa, or maybe realize that it's not quite as black and white as he was sort of making it. Like, I think that's the idea that this movie is trying to go for, that it's not simply, that it's not simply that like the Roman, like like there's the bad, the bad guys and the good guys are not sort of super clearly delineated. There's, you know, the Romans are these imperialist aggressors, but then there's also these, these raiders. But this, then that, that, as I say it out loud, I'm like, eh, that's kind of... <laughs> Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, maybe also that's like kind of what Mark Strong was supposed to also add a layer to that because he's like, mm-hmm. no, I live here. I like have a wife and two mm-hmm. children and I like it here, mm-hmm. I think, I guess. And like he has a new name and he speaks Brit- Britain, whatever. Pictish or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, whatever think- language. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's sort of like maybe they're trying to go for like a we're all human. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but it didn't work. Yeah, well. it was the, that that was kind of the I think the key there's a key thing sort of missing. Yeah. Or even just these characters who sort of exist in these like larger conflicts or you know, individuals who exist in light of these larger conflicts and structures around them that sort of force them into conflict or out of conflict or mostly into conflict um yeah. in ways that are not sort of completely necessary like there's a muddying there's a muddying of the waters mm-hmm. a little bit but yeah like the sort of dramatic shift because i did kind of like the idea of this this tension between channing and 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 jamie bell yeah. but and i think they're both good actors could pull it up but i think there's there's just like something a little bit missing mm-hmm. for me to really there's like a scene or a moment or something missing for me to really buy the switch that that eska makes in yeah. the end i agree because then, yeah, because we meet, and we so then we meet the seal people who are this kind of like, and I was uh, I was reading up about this movie. I think the idea was that they're sort of an almost like pre-Celtic people, like they're they're they look and sort of they look very different from yeah, yeah. the rest, the other Celts that we've met. Like all the Celts we've met up until this point, sort of more or less conform. Like there's a druid in the very beginning. They kind of got like long hair and some tattoos. Mm-hmm. And, the imagery surrounding the seal people, I think, is like modeled after like Inuit peoples and like Native Americans. Like they wear like com- like all furs. They're completely covered in body paint and like like have like their their weapons seem like they're made out of like bone and stone yeah. <laughs> and things like that. Like they they they. It's a very sort of like doesn't necessarily takes me out of it, but it's it's just like a weird. It's a strange idea to play with because I think it very much is supposed to be shorthand and be reminiscent of sort of Native American or North American indigenous peoples. Yeah, and I do think it does take me out of it because the whole interesting like tension is that like Jamie Bell Eska, his character, is sort of pulled between two worlds and the seal Mm -hmm. people are so different from just the other Celts, the other people, so different even from Eska that, mm-hmm. I mean, they speak the same language, but they're like, he obviously is also a stranger there mm-hmm. that I think it feels easier or maybe it's supposed to feel easier for him to shift back to yeah. the, the Romans. And I think mm-hmm. that that does sort of take it out for me. It's like, well, you know, he has no reason to be there either. So it's like, why, what, what? And and the like the the chief, 
don't know if I got him down in the cast people. Uh, well, so there's there's Tahar Rahim um, who plays the prince who doesn't even have it. He's just the prince of the seal the people. Seal prince, yeah. Yeah, um, and and his father Ned Dennehy, the chief of the seal people, is kind yeah. of like he's the most villainous person in this movie. Like he sort of talks. He sort of is is. is and, and they're both sort of very cruel and abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks a lot about killing killing Channing's father, um, taking the eagle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's almost like I think this I – don't, I don't know what I'm even saying at this point now. But, like, yeah, because it's almost like they're sort of – they're the most sort of alienated of, yeah. of all. And, we, and outside of the kind of very beginning and a couple of individuals – they're the most of Celtic society that we see. Yeah. And they're very disparate from yeah. all of the other Celts. So yeah, there's so much attention paid to like the the Romans and sort of the armor and like mm. the, the houses and the, all of that stuff, which I think was really cool. And then there was so much attention paid to the seal people, but they are like, they're a fictional group of people and a fictional mm-hmm. tribe into this fictional setting, it would have been really cool to get that level of attention and detail to the actual ancient Britons. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and also like it also, it really, this movie is the ancient Britons that we do see it like North of the wall looks freaking miserable. Yeah. It's like always raining. And yeah. like they're always Everyone's like... is in the mud and yeah. like, they're in these, like these like very miserable looking stone huts. <laughs> and Yeah. Yeah, that that was kind of sad. Like, I wish that we could have seen something with like that amount of detail and attention paid to it that that was actually reflective mm-hmm. of those communities. Yeah. Uh, so now, like in our sort of tour of, of this movie's plot, then Eska kind of escapes. Eska uh, sort of wakes Channing. They they steal the eagle. They kill the chief. They make their getaway. They're running, trying to escape the seal people. Uh, who are chasing after them on foot. Like, again, another thing, like, the few people, like, don't have any horses. Yeah. They're purely on foot. They're they're just so kind of different from the other kind of Celts that we've seen. Mm-hmm. They So they're, they're being chased. And then Eska basically, and this is where it really, I think, just kind of falls apart. And the movie yep. kind of, like, trip. I think it trips at the finish line. Yep. Where Eska, like, Channing's kind of wounded and delirious, and Eska runs off, and he goes and he finds the other, the surviving deserters of the Ninth, who come back, and they make a <laughs> glorious last stand against the Seal people to rescue the Eagle. I, yeah. I hate it. I hate it. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> then they, and then they go back... They oh. yeah, and Channing and Eska go back. He like drops the eagle on the desk of the legate, whoever. <laughs> like looks the like kind of snooty, like kind of posh senator in the eye, mm-hmm. and like gives him the middle <laughs> finger. And then they bro out and they walk out of the the Roman hall like smiling at each other. It's like and suddenly just, like, a buddy cop. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, and then like rock music. You know, Aerosmith plays in the background, <laughs> and like it's just, and then like boom, roll credits, and it just takes such a freaking turn no no nope 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 i i think eska had no reason at that point like in his character arc to to like go find help and Mm -hmm. like bring stuff back like yeah i believe like you know personal blood debt he's not gonna kill channing tatum but he has Mm -hmm. no reason to like help him (laughs) further and uh all of those other like uh survivors were they just like nearby were they like yeah. right down the road? <laughs> I mean, aside from the fact that like one, it's been twenty years, yeah, and right. these guys, you know, are like probably are in their forties at least. 
and are probably like maybe a little bit out of their prime. Yeah. <laughs> and like and like these people who have like never met, like the only one who's actually even met Channing or or Eska is the Mark Strong character. Yeah. I think Gruen is his name. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't think it's right here. Excuse me. Gern is his sort of Celtic name and then his Roman name was Lucius Caius Metellus. But he, yeah, he comes back and then they decide that basically they're going to be, they're, they're ride or die for the eagle now. You know, because they're all, they, they kind of all, there's a couple lines about like, you know, I sort of died and I deserted that day. But then, but again, like the whole time I'm thinking like, like Mark Strong, like you have a family and stuff. Like, why are yeah. you doing this? Yeah, why are you doing this? But also it's like, if there were these, this many survivors, um, if they all were hanging out, why didn't they like try to get the eagle back? Like if it meant so much to them, it's been hanging yeah. out there for 20 years. Um, and, why now? <laughs> yeah. And what is it about Marcus? That's like so damn inspiring. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I didn't buy it. I didn't like, it felt very contrived and shoehorned in and sort of the opposite of like the gritty kind of realism that I feel like the beginning of the movie was going for. Yeah, and like, yeah, that that was like trying to make it into kind of a sort of schlocky, sort of action adventure blockbuster high concept sort of film. Yeah, and they it it really meshes like oil and water. And now that I'm thinking about it a little bit, I thinking and thinking particularly about like Last of the Mohicans or something, where like it really would have would have would have been more interesting to me is to like make the sort of like we were kind of saying like that this this sort of individual, very individual focused story. Cause it has a very small cast of characters. Yeah. And no women. <laughs> yes. And no, I was about to say also like master commander, but yep, but also yeah, there like are master no, commander. <laughs> but at, at least master commander, they're like on a ship. So like, it makes you know, a little the, bit more sense. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like zero, there's some extras and that is it. There are no women at all in nope. this movie, but like to, to sort of set this conflict sort of more like, like the sort of more like Last of the Mohicans, where there's this larger sort of multifaceted sort of conflict going on between like Romans and and Britons and maybe allied tribes or something, but then just have like a very personal centered conflict between like uh, Mark Channing, Marcus, and and Eska and a, a the sort of per- and an antagonist like Tahir Rahim's character, like the right. the prince, and really just sort of focus around them because like in like the la- the final sort of act of Last of the Mohicans where Hawkeye goes to he basically goes to the Hurons where Magua the chief antagonist has taken oh god i forget their name Cora and the uh the, other one. the, the sort of, yeah <laughs> i forget her name um and they kind of have this conversation with the chief and the chief has this kind of very like sad lament about what's happening and and he looks at Magua and he basically says like Magua like you've also been corrupted by like the british have sort of corrupted you and then they have that final sort of showdown on the cliffs. Mm-hmm. Um, but something sort of more like that, where it was just a, it was a more of a sort of personal conflict centered rather than just the seal people are kind of the enemy. Yeah. And there's some sort of maybe Eska has a prior relation with the prince mm-hmm. or something like that. Or he's yeah. got some sort of axe to grind. Then you could then. All right. I'm thinking now in our sort of creative laboratory, like you can have a foil to one another where Eska is a sort of. And the prince have very much similar experiences and similar reasons to hate or seek vengeance or something like that. And Eska yeah. maybe grows out of it. And then the prince doesn't and he descends into revenge. <laughs> All right. Do, do, I'm let, on let's, board. Let, yeah. Yeah. Let's hit the, let's hit the writing room. Um, <laughs> this already sounds like a story. <laughs> and, and you should, and then like, like there should be some kind of final third act, 
you know, dramatic climactic combat, but rather than just being a sort of generic battle between people who have no sort of reason to fight one another, it can really just be like a showdown between. Yeah. These characters, these principal characters. Yeah. And I do feel like Marcus, his character needed to like come to some more realization about the Eagle Mm because they sort of don't ever challenge the like, the eagle is Rome, eagle lost, honor lost. And I feel like that would have been really interesting where he like maybe chooses to save Eska instead of getting the eagle back or he like chooses friendship or human life Mm -hmm. or, you know, his values are realigned in some way. Because I feel like his arc, it just sort of like, you know, adds up to, yep, the eagle is most important. <laughs> yeah, he was kind of always, he was right. Like his yeah. his story, he he was right all along. Like exactly. the eagle was there, we could have gotten it, we did get it, F the yeah. haters. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Like in the same way that like Eska's character, you know, could, can go through some kind of arc, like his character also needs a sort of realization, particularly now that maybe he's on the other side of the wall and the wall could be this metonymy, if you will, <laughs> a sort of symbol of the larger, yes. you know, divide between them. And once he goes on the other side of the wall, yeah. he gets a new perspective and mm-hmm. then like, oh, oh, oh my God. Yeah. Questioning Rome, uh, mm-hmm. even just like a little bit. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, yeah. Question the idea of the, you know, the the honor before or else or, or duty or, or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And maybe like his dad had also had that kind of, you know, feeling and that's his dad maybe tried to save the last, you know, legionaries instead mm-hmm. of the eagle. And so this, mm-hmm. you know, divide between uh, cowardice and, you know, the deserters versus mm-hmm. um, actual appreciation for human life. Yeah, or like, yeah, maybe his dad's still alive, or his dad maybe bartered to, to spare his men. Or, yeah, you know, which would have reflected really well on like what Channing did in the beginning, which was like mm-hmm. ride out to save mm-hmm. these prisoners and sort of yeah. you know put himself in harm's way to save other people. Ugh. Yeah, Channing finds out that that his dad sort of gave up the eagle to spare these guys' lives, who now have made new lives for themselves north of the wall. And Channing is like, and that clashes, like Channing's like, what are you doing? You're cowards. This is a betrayal. And then he comes to realize like, oh, maybe that was the right choice all along. And yes. I don't know. Um, as, we, as we're as we sort of rewriting a movie that is now a decade old, um, <laughs> as we come back with our better, our, our better updated version. Right, right. <laughs> but I wanted to, as we, we were talking about the wall, and I wanted to kind of talk about Hadrian's wall, both the sort of real wall as we understand it, what's there, and the way it's depicted in movies like this. Because as we were talking about at the beginning, this is, I think, like the fifth or fourth movie in almost as many years to <laughs> yeah. feature Hadrian's Wall. It yeah. is becoming, and like maybe we could make some sort of connection to sort of in the United States with like debates about the border, mm-hmm. um, particularly, I mean, it's very in our sort of now post-Trump knock on wood um, <laughs> world, like the idea of a border wall mm-hmm. and what not, and both sort of what that means in reality versus what that means sort of symbolically. Because uh, yeah, this movie sets up Hadrian's wall in a very, it's very Heart of Darkness-esque. Yeah. Whereas like the world ends here. Everything north of this wall is like savagery and unknown and uncivilized and prehistoric and... Yeah, and, like, that's a similar, like, you see that very similar trope in, like, you see it in in Centurion, you see it in a ton of movies. And, you know, like, not only do lots of movies about the ancient world like to be set in Britain, 
like Pompeii, as we just yep. um, <laughs> were just talking about. But they really like Hadrian's Wall and like that idea, which I think is really more reflective of kind of more modern, more modern sort of nations and borders ideas, but then also like colonial experiences where yes, very like Joseph Conrad, very Heart of Darkness-esque. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think like stories about cultural interaction or cultures that maybe clash are very interesting just because I think because of that conflict. And I think those stories have always been intriguing for all of those reasons that they're just there is such suffering, which is terrible. But I think we always twist that to be entertaining (laughs) Mm -hmm. in some way. And I think the the clash of cultures between like Rome and uh, ancient Britons is very appealing to uh, white people, I guess. A modern Anglophone audience, you might yeah, say. You might say. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Because I think we sort of claim, at least like modern America, modern white America claims uh, a lot of ancestry to both like, I guess, maybe morally superior Roman-esque uh, mm-hmm mentality western civilization but also actually from the you know united kingdom from the island of yeah. blah 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 we, we always want to be the underdogs the the rebels the yeah you know the 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 put upon like yeah exactly like the patriot like we yes. love that you know or braveheart love that stuff yeah mm-hmm. so i think this those type of stories really appeal to a white american audience uh just because both of those sides we kind of have an obsession with (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah for sure yeah it's very we we get to sort of simultaneously be both like villain and hero and yeah we get to have it all (laughs) yeah no absolutely yeah yeah we get to have like sort of both sides of all things and i think that there are probably more interesting culture i don't want to say clashes but just cultural interactions that happened in the ancient world um, mm-hmm. that we do not feel that, you know, claim to, and therefore we don't tell those stories. Yeah, there, there's, there's, as I was thinking as we go through, there's really, there's two, three, I should say, parts of the Roman world that movies, you know, I, I almost like, I, I was thinking of like, I could just make a meme that's like a map that's like a <laughs> picture of like the Roman world. And then it's like the Roman world according to movies. And it's just Britain, Italy, and Judea. Yep. All of which we can understand why those are, I mean, Rome, because it's Rome, obviously, but then, you know, Judea for us, again, the obvious reasons is sort of like that kind of uh, like ancestral heritage, kind of cultural Mm -hmm. heritage that emerges out of the Middle East and to a lesser extent Egypt. But, but yeah, like, like we, we we don't really get a lot of Roman stories about say North Africa or Mm -hmm. Eastern Europe uh, as much. Um, or the Middle East outside of Judea. Right. Uh, I think for, for, again, for those reasons, but there's absolutely similar things happening. There's all these cultural interactions, different people, languages, customs, religions, all coming together and changing in sort of weird little ways. And even just Hadrian's Wall itself, as I understand it, it really probably in reality almost definitely wasn't like a hard and fast sort of line of oh, sand. Oh, no. Yeah, no. We sort of see it as a very, like, porous border, right? That's that's one of the descriptors is, like, things would go back and forth, including, like, communication. Like, people traded across the wall, likely. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. They probably I th- had families and connections and rel- or, or friends, yes. you know, connections some way or the other on either side of the wall. For sure, yeah. There was probably a fair amount of traffic, you know, because they get yeah, like you always see it's like it's almost like it's like Jurassic Park or King Kong or something yeah. like that, where it's like on the other side of the gate, it's just like nothing. 
yeah, it's pure animal craziness out there. But no, the, like people were probably going through this border yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. And even, and it was almost, it probably was, it might've been more about like just sort of trade or, or regulation or something like that. Yeah. Like, if you, if you have a border, you ha- people have to cross, you can tax them on, mm-hmm. <laughs> on when they cross it and what they bring across and how often they cross. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. part of it was likely some sort of revenue. But yeah, I sort of see the the like big expanse of like, yeah, Jurassic Park as kind of the the Game of Thrones uh, depiction of the wall. Yeah. Uh, which is supposedly uh, inspired by Hadrian's Wall, right? It's like yeah. all of the, the wildlings in the north, that's, you know, northern Britain and <laughs> this like yeah, huge that, that, wall of ice. <laughs> that's, that's the best, I think, really like, that is the most literally crystallized because it's made of ice boom best joke <laughs> of the day right there but it, it's the most like that's the clear the most sort of stalwart idea of hadrian's wall as it sort of trickles down and the frontier to us where like is it is in game of thrones it is like literally this like impassable boundary like yeah. it's in it's it's not even just like a like a work of architecture it's like a work of nature almost it's yeah. this it's like there's something like natural about it mm-hmm. and then you know, on the other side of the wall is it's it's simultaneously sort of less settled, but it's also in this is in Game of Thrones, it's constantly kind of freer. Yeah. And this is a trope that even that goes back to even just Roman narratives themselves. Uh, I was thinking as I was watching this movie, there's a very, very famous speech in in historian Tacitus by a guy named um, I just wrote it down. Calcacus, I knew I was going to put your name, but he gives, it's kind of this battle between these um, British basically rebels and a Roman army. And then Tacitus reports his, or imagines or something, the final speech that the British commander gives or the commander of the Britons. And it's very much about like here, we're sort of at the end of the earth. Like he kind of describes it. It's like to our backs is the sea. And like, that's it. There's no more. Like we're at the end. And then like, we are purely free. We don't know the kind of the same strictures on Roman that Romans have on their lives. Um, we are like, we live purely free. And then he makes this whole point about the Romans are kind of these, these oppressors and, and then the slavers. And then the, the famous quote from the line is he says, they sort of make desolation and call it peace. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or more accurately, something like solitudes. He uses a weird word for it, but, but yeah, like that idea that there's sort of this dichotomy between like, civilized and f- wild and free and, and all that kind of stuff. And that crystallizes here again with like the seal people who are kind of like an er example of this sort of, mm-hmm. they're almost like prehistoric in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I think this movie should have been rated R. Yeah. I want, is, is it PG 13? It is. And I feel like you can tell. Yeah. Uh, even like in the very beginning where they, they're going to like, they execute one of the prisoners. There's no blood. You don't mm-hmm. see it. And mm-hmm. it felt like noticeable to me. Yeah, it uh, is. Now that you say it, I realize like for as violent of a movie as it is, it is pretty bloodless. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like some people have like splatters on their face at some point, but I'm like, geez, like a Marvel movie is bloodier than this at some point. Yeah. Yeah. People like get their arms cut <laughs> off in Marvel. Like millions of people watch Thanos get his head chopped off. Right. Granted, it was a CGI Josh Brolin, but this movie, yeah, it's also, there, there's no sex in this movie. No, there's not even, like, remotely romantic. It is dryly chaste. Yes. Um, Which, I mean, like, fine. Also, in Master and Commander, there's there's no, no romantic 
tension or whatever. So like that doesn't bother me at all. I kind of I think it's well, kind except of between refreshing. Paul Bettany and his weevils and his and, well, his, okay. like, and the enough. beetles and all the flora and fauna of, of the Galapagos. Like Fair that's, that's pretty hot and heavy. Um, <laughs> but no, I I think this actually would have benefited from being rated R and having a slightly gorier, grittier uh, yeah. relationship with the blood and the violence because I think that's sort of a big part of the story is how scary that it's supposed to feel even just like yeah like the way it's shot like it's a pretty dark film yeah it's very it's it's pretty like i would say it's a very gray film Mm -hmm. um it's it seems pretty desaturated i mean i think kind of of its time like you see a lot of movies like that but it is like a very yeah it seems like it is going for that gritty realism which now you say it like it, it has it looks like it wants to be an R-rated movie. Yep. Like it really kind of gone one or two ways. Like either we just make it like a schlocky action adventure. Yeah. You know, sort of truer maybe to the original and then make it a little like make it a little less self-serious and like have a joke. Yeah. Because this movie is also joyless. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Which except I for the like... last 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and truthfully, I'm kind of here for that. Like I want to see the the buddy cop dramedy uh mm-hmm. with Jamie Bell and Channing Tatum just like kicking about in the Highlands, like going on little adventures. Like (laughs) one moment of bonding between them, Um, (laughs) rather than just like it's all gloom and doom and like yeah. So either you know go one way or like just just double down. Like this is like bleak as I mean it can be rated R and still have like a joke. Yes, but like make it like yeah, like really sort of lean. Like it could be it could have stood to be i think a little bit more violent yeah i mean they kill that kid at the end and oh, there's it, yeah. there's no blood they just a lot of ch- lay him this down. Movie, maybe the thesis of this movie is 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 it hates children maybe because channing Ch- channing tatum kills in that scene we were talking about earlier where we think there should have been some sort of like bromance yeah, happening yeah. or just some kind of bonding at any level in that scene it was a point I was going to make and I just actually forgot. So thank you for reminding me. But because like Eska hesitates to kill one of the Raiders because he's like a child, basically. He's yeah. Like, he looks really young. Yeah. Yeah. He looks super young. And then that guy's running away and Channing Tatum throws a knife into his back. <laughs> which should have been like, I think it would have been a point where Eska would have been like, like this guy yeah <laughs> it's like no that's not cool he even like looks upset like yeah. it should have been channing should have been the one to maybe have like a moment of like hang on yeah but he kills the kid like remorselessly and then there's no consequences like nothing yeah nothing mm-hmm. comes from that and the yeah. Then the, the sea, prince, sea, yeah yeah he kills his own i don't know what he was to the uh, a kid in the tribe. Yeah. By the way, whom they dragged like however many days while they were going <laughs> on that hunt, the, just to kill right in front of them to to ba- to basically make a point that's like I think for the audience to be like oh like these guys are to signal to us the audience that they are definitely the bad guys. Yeah. Because they would kill one of their own, and then yeah, just to make a point that's like we don't stand for traitors. I don't care if he's twelve. <laughs> so yeah. No. No. Yeah, that's like a pretty, that's a pretty, and I, and I think that's also supposed to be like to give Eska the like, oh yeah, I to give him like no moral qualms about fighting the SEAL people. I Yeah, but then it doesn't work that Channing Tatum killed a kid earlier. It's like we need to, <laughs> yeah. we need to make up our mind. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, maybe like the, the Channing's kid was like not quite so innocent, but like it, it muddies the waters in a way that isn't beneficial to the movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I had a bunch of like little small, but I, uh, the, when this movie did have 
sort of to its credit, it did have a historical consultant, um, Leslie Allison Jones, who's I'm, an archaeologist. And, I feel like you can tell, like the the attention to detail. Um, it's it seems you know a lot more old school, uh, much closer to gladiator than than Pompeii, mm-hmm. I guess, in terms yeah. of attention to detail. Yeah, which was great. Yeah, like they're, they're, they had little, like there was little, like speaking of a little attention to detail that I, I only noticed when I was looking through the quotes, but Marcus prays to Mithras. Yeah, I noticed that. I was like, oh, that's cool. Like that makes sense. Mithras no, absolutely. Like the timings. You know, God, mm-hmm. the timing. Yeah. Yeah. And even the timing with Hadrian's Wall was being built. So this movie is set in 140 CE. I think they started Hadrian's Wall around 122. Mm. So. If it was built, I mean, I don't know how long it probably took to construct the wall, but 18 years. Probably a went. while. I mean, it's a big wall. Uh, but yeah, like the Mithras, that, like, like, that totally tracks. It's the right time, the right context. Yep. Soldiers probably would. He has a little bracelet, uh, that's the Pia Fidelis bracelet, which is an actual honor you could get in the Roman army. Like, there's some stuff that I was thinking about, but, like, they use a lot of shorthand. Like, the Roman military is basically set up to be completely analogous to, like, the way a modern military works. Just the idea that, like, you could be, like, a well, like, I guess there were career soldiers and things like that. But yeah. In, like, some, like, the idea of an honorable discharge, yeah. I think, might be a little anachronistic. Uh, yeah. Generally, I think service in the Roman army was a 25-year stint. Or, like, 20 if you were... A citizen or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it might have been 20. You might be right. With the promise of getting a little plot of land at the end. But yeah, like, whatever. That's not the biggest deal. Uh, I, you can read. So there's an interview I read with the the consultant, Leslie Ellenson Jones. She's an archaeologist. She's a British archaeologist. And she works in northern, northern Britain. Um, cool. So very appropriate. So in the interview she was talking about. And she was. it was interesting because she was also describing the process sort of which it works where it was largely like sort of a series of communication, like email chains between her and I think like uh, either like a production or assistant or an assistant to, to Kevin McDonald. Um, she wanted to go on set, but it was actually most of it was filmed in Hungary and she was teaching in Britain at the time. So she didn't get to actually go to go on set. So it was kind of, it was largely like the way she described is like they would send her like sections of the script and other shots and things like that, just for her to look over and kind of point out like anything that jumps out to her. And apparently she had two things that she, she kind of said up front, and it was no togas and no stirrups. <laughs> I mean, you can't ask people to, like, modern writers to not use stirrups. I feel like that's so hard to do, right? So, so oh, so there, it, it gets interesting with, with that. So, so, yeah, so, like, stirrups don't become a thing in Europe until, like, the Middle Ages, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like, in, in ancient contexts, like, Romans and Greeks were riding around without stirrups. Yeah. And but so apparently, though, the reason there is a reason they did have stirrups and they're actually you can barely really see them. But the reason for that is it's an insurance thing. So apparently, like neither like Jamie Bell and Channing Tatum had to learn how to ride horses for this. And uh, the insurance like the agency or the insurance company wouldn't let them up on the horse (laughs) without stirrups. That makes total sense. Like that's fine whatever yeah we're like i'm I'm thinking like in in like lord of the rings like gandalf rides shadowfax totally bareback because shadowfax you know he's the lord of horses so he doesn't he doesn't you can't put a yeah yeah, you can't put a saddle or a a bridle (laughs) on him or anything like that he's 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 one of the maris so like but like anyways but they had to get like a real like a professional you know like really experienced rider 
because they had to have shots where Gandalf basically rides at full speed, completely bareback. Yeah, which is, is yeah, is not something that just anybody can do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I understand why the insurance company was like, uh-uh, you're not putting Channing Tatum up on a horse without stirrups. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't that doesn't bother me. His much. face his face and butt are worth too much for us to risk this. <laughs> well, I mean, especially if they're like riding those horses up and down those mountains and all of the mm-hmm. that landscape looked, you know, yeah, treacherous. I wouldn't want to try to ride a horse without stirrups. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. That makes sense to me. Why no togas? That's kind of fun. Uh, I think it's just because it would have been like they would have all I think in reality, like the Romans and the Britons would have probably looked very, very to to our eyes would have looked very similar. Like we yeah. probably would not might have been able to distinguish them. They probably would have both just been wearing tunics more often than not. Yeah. Um, yeah. and just sort of generic clothes. And she really wanted that they and I guess like people wouldn't have been wearing togas just kind of like out and about. I mean, um, but I feel like that makes sense even mm-hmm. in a Roman setting. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I think so I think the 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 producer this and the directors and uh, just wanted like a visual marker, yeah, marker for Roman and and the toga, or and they're not quite like it's not quite the full like austere white toga that you would expect in like a. No, I feel like or, he uh, Channing mm-hmm. Tatum at one point just has like a a drape. Mm-hmm. It's a little toned down and a little yeah, but yeah, like they just wanted some way to mark sort of Romans, even though like yeah, probably in their day to day business they might not have just been walking around because a toga is something you really wear when you like go to speak before the Senate. Yeah. Among yeah. other, in, a, in a couple of other contexts. Like, it's a very sort of, Formal. it's particular of your status and your position, and it, it's yeah. a very marked piece of clothing. It's kind of like um, wearing a suit. Yes, yeah. exactly. It would be, yeah, that's a that's a perfect, it's, or like, even like a, like a black Tux. tie. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like wearing a tuxedo or something. It's mm-hmm. like, you wouldn't just wear a tuxedo to work. No. Necessarily. Exactly. Or you would if you were the senator. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but I, I thought it was just sort of interesting, and she kind of talked like there was a little bit like, and I find myself like I sometimes get frustrated when I read like historians or experts of some one kind of another kind of critique these movies because I I think they kind of miss the forest for the trees a lot. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it, it was just kind of it was an interesting read her her interview where she's talking about the experience. But generally, she was like, yeah, they did a well enough job. There's always some anachronistic thing you can point your finger to, but like I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like um, we could sit, you know, anybody could say a lot more terrible things about Pompeii than about the eagle. Oh, yeah, no, this is just anachronistic um, nonsense. Yeah, like, like, (laughs) this movie at least like gave a shit. (laughs) Yeah, oh, yeah. And I feel like you can tell it's it does not it looks very different having just watched Pompeii. Maybe that's just like what's in my head. I mean, the, the outfits that they wear in Pompeii, it's like, particularly all of the soldiers, those like purple and black and the white and gold outfits. I know, I know. It's like, That's wild. No. It, oh, yeah. man. They also just, it just looks like cheap. Well, yeah. And, and I think this movie doesn't look like that at all. I think you can really tell that they did give a shit, right? Like they have that, that attention to detail, which I appreciated. Yeah. The, oh, one, there's one other thing. This movie deliberately departs from its sort of, it's colleagues in one, I think, very key way, which is the absence of posh British accents, oh, among, yeah, particularly among Romans. Because Mark Strong speaks with an American accent. Because yeah, he's Mark Strong, Roman. an actual Scottish person, <laughs> is speaking with an American accent in this movie. Which is so funny. Because, I yeah. mean, also, they, they, they cast Channing Tatum, who, like, 
I don't know if Channing Tatum could. He's doing some kind of accent. It just, it sounds maybe like he's trying to be like a little bit more, uh, like a prestige. Yeah. He doesn't have an accent, but he still sounds American, but he's like. He, he doesn't sound like regular Channing Tatum. No, no. He's, 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 uh, he's got some effect to his voice yes, that is, like, I think effect. approximating some, some kind of, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, period, like, that appropriate for a period piece or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 for sure. But, yeah, Mark Strong is where it really clicks because... And I think the idea is that the, the Celts and the Britons, they are the ones that have British accents, although... Yeah. Like Jamie Bell. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Jamie Bell has a British accent um, and he because he's a Briton. <laughs> And then the Romans have American accents. And again, I think this ties into the sort of like layering of like sort of Westerns and that genre onto this context. Like it's it's yeah. really that's the shorthand that's going on, that the Romans are Americans and the Celts are, you know, Native Americans or. Right. And then, but then it's also like so the uh, the seal prince, um, he's French in real life to Rahim. And but he doesn't speak. He only there's some actors that only speak whatever it is, Scots Gaelic or, or Pictish or whatever. The, I'm not sure I, the I couldn't find out like what it actually was. I tried to look it up. Did you find out what they're actually speaking? I found like conflicting things where somewhere I was reading, I was talking about the director and they were saying Pictish somewhere else, like uh, talking about that actor was saying he learned Scots Gaelic. So I don't actually know which or that I'm not as well versed with all the, the subtleties of yeah. and the historic the historical linguistics of those languages to to say with any certainty. But but it's definitely what well, it's definitely a Celtic language that they are speaking. Yes. Yeah. You can hear there's a couple things I heard, but like you can he um because I think Eska introduces himself as like he introduces himself as like Mac Cuomo or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um which is like, oh I'm like I would have been Mac Cormac. I would have I would have killed it with these people. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Mac Cormac. <laughs> Mac just meeting Sano. That's the extent of my knowledge of, uh, I don't know. Any other, I'm, I'm looking back over my notes to see if I have any other hot takes that I really want to. No, I think my biggest hot take was that this should have been rated R. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good, yeah. If I could change one thing about this movie, my one thing was I would be, I would change the final like 20 minutes. I would change, I would scrap that whole battle at the end. Yep. Make it, make it just a duel between, uh, either Marcus or Eska, some sort of duel between like Marcus, Eska, and the Seal Prince. Like really, just just localize there. Yep. And not have whatever the hell, however that, and maybe even have them not return the eagle. I almost wish they didn't even find the eagle. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of like there's a lot of change now that I think about it, because like all the changes that I kind of want are like more systemic would involve like more elaborate sort of reworks <laughs> of the plot. Yeah. But most of it would really be concentrated in the final thirty minutes. Yeah. I completely agree. And just add some more blood. <laughs> yeah, a little more blood. All right, perk. That so I think that's that's all the all the time we have. So we're still working out the details, but it seems like we are gonna shift a little bit for the next couple episodes and actually move into television. Uh, and the first thing we're gonna be talking about is Troy Fall of the City, the Netflix original. And we have a slew of guests, including a professor and also some current undergraduate students lined up to talk about their experience, their reactions and experiences of the show. So it's probably going to be happening in three parts. Um, I need to just update on Twitter or something like that. And then after that, I think we're thinking of doing Blood of Zeus. Yes. Also a Netflix original. Have you seen that one yet? No, I haven't. I'm excited. Yeah. All right. It, it will be good. And we're going to get Christy back on, I think. Christy yeah. Vogler. All right. So 
With that note, we're going to sign off as usual. You can find us at MoviesWeDig.com and follow us on at DigMovies on Twitter. You can listen to our episodes either on our website or Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, a bunch of different stuff. You can there, there's, there's multiple ways to listen to us. And, and please leave reviews, like and subscribe, all that good stuff. It really helps us out a lot. And uh, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.